Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Names have functional meaning. Students of this podcast know that our ability to hear a name spoken in the original language can unlock the meaning of a sentence, within a paragraph, within a story. In some cases, a common word taken from the story like rigoreo, enters spoken language as a proper noun, unlocking the story's meaning in everyday situations. In 2021, I'm rooting for Envoliazo. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 42 to 44. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 379 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Matthew chapter 24 has been stressing preparedness. Make ready, be ready, be so ready that at the drop of a hat, you're ready to move. Jerusalem is going to crumble. The person standing next to you is going to be taken away. And it has nothing to do, as we've said, with rapturism or any of these crazy ideas that have crept up in religious ideology in recent years. All of these images pertain to judgment, accountability, lack of control on the part of the human being, and the way in which all of the things we do as human beings to maintain control are useless. All we can do is prepare in the way that God has set forth for us to prepare. In the case of Matthew, that means studying Scripture so that we know what to do according to God's precepts. A great example that helps illustrate this point it's the coronavirus vaccine. We know that the vaccine works. We know that the vaccine is safe, just like we know that one plus one equals two. We know that if you take the vaccine, in most cases, you won't contract the virus. In some cases, even if you do contract the virus, you will most likely not be hospitalized and die from the virus because your body will have a better chance of fighting off the virus. Now, you can't see the virus, and you could be at a gathering of people. They might be wearing masks. They might be doing everything correctly. People will be eating and drinking, conducting themselves as normal. You can't tell who has the virus and who doesn't. 
you don't know what's going to happen, but you do know because people that are much more knowledgeable than you and I in their field, they know that the vaccine works and they've explained to us that the way you prepare for this unseen virus that is a threat is by taking the vaccine. So you either obey and trust and prepare by doing the correct thing, about which there's no discussion, or you don't. And so people will be eating and drinking and talking and gathering, and then one day, when you least expect it, some people will contract the virus and some people won't. That's the funny thing about this mechanism of disaster in the Gospel of Matthew. Sure, it applies when we bring in the example of the Avengers or we talk about the destruction of a city, but it applies with a simple thing like a virus. This is how life works, and we are confronted at every turn with simple examples of how we can prepare. And all of these examples help us understand this illustration of judgment and preparedness in Matthew. I'm so happy that we've been going so slowly through Matthew 24 because all the examples, example after example, I frankly didn't realize how many examples of preparedness and getting ready to move now better emphasized in this chapter. It's just one after the other, one metaphor after analogy, after comparison. It's just full of it, it because we have to be ready. And this originally started when the disciples got so excited about how impressive the buildings in Jerusalem are. And you can fuss over those bricks as much as you'd like. You can be like the Pharisees and fuss over who's supposed to be right and how to formulate things in the right way. But Jesus is emphasizing, look, there's going to be a lightning strike, and everyone's going to know that there's a lightning strike, and then it's going to be time to move. You have to flee. You have to be ready to go. We already know that people are not going to be ready, just like in the example of Noah. They were eating and drinking and having a great time until it started to rain. But when it rained, did they all clamor onto the ark? No, it was just raining. They didn't know that this was a sign because they weren't ready. Noah was ready because he was listening to the voice of the Lord. And for us to listen to the voice of the Lord is to hear Scripture. I mean, you bring up the vaccine, Father, and one of the things I think is so important is, on the one hand, you get people who say, well, we don't know what the long-term effects are going to be. True, there's no data on what happens 10 years after you take this vaccine. True, we don't have data on that. Okay, so do we wait 10 years till we have data on that to make a decision? I think that's a foolish decision because then we waste the opportunity we have now. Now is the keros, the time to act. And if we don't act, we lose that. The other side that I hear, one time I heard someone sneering at somebody. Oh, you think you're so smart. You just read peer-reviewed work. You don't read the other stuff. And my reaction is like, well, peer-reviewed is where they actually check their work and they take other knowledgeable scholars to check to make sure all the information's accurate and stuff like that, as opposed to Jim's blog, who nobody checks on anything. Jim didn't even check anything. He just wrote how he felt. So why would I take Jim's blog on the same level as 
a peer-reviewed article. And here we have our peer-reviewed article because it's peer-reviewed. God said it. Jesus said, yep, that's what I'm going with. And so if we choose to submit to Jesus, we submit to this word. We can't say, yeah, Jesus, I know you said that this word is, but, you know, Jim said, no, what Jim said is not relevant. If Jim says that one plus one is three, like you say, Father, doesn't mean we need to entertain the idea of one plus one equals three, because Jim's word is not the word of God. Maybe I'm saying something that's too obvious, but Jim's word on Jim's blog is not the truth, and it doesn't even necessarily need to be considered when you have actual experts whom, you know, you have to be like an extra genius or think very highly of yourself to actually listen to. And if you cite these people, then you're being snobbish or you're being elitist. I mean, I would say the person who doesn't submit to the person who knows more than they do is the elitist of anyone. There are people who work in a laboratory who have spent their whole career studying the history of vaccines since the polio vaccine, who understand how each of the different vaccines that have brought humanity back from the brink with a number of horrible diseases work. They know how we have improved on each vaccine. They know the different vaccine methods and types. There are entire teams of experts who have committed their whole life to this work. These people collectively have spent thousands and thousands of hours doing experiments, seeing what actually happens at the cellular level. When they talk about the vaccine, they're not talking about their idea of vaccines or their opinion about what they think a vaccine is or their concept or what they think it might be. That's what you and I are talking about, Richard, because that's not our field. We're not experts. When they're talking about a vaccine, they are referring to what they saw happen in the lab, what they documented, what worked and what didn't work over a series of documented steps and tests that were monotonous and tedious and painstaking and took months and in some cases years. But as the technology and the methods have improved, they've been able to accelerate the process. But still, they're not just talking. It's the same way we deal with Scripture. There are words on a page. We're not just talking. It may seem that way to someone who isn't dealing with the content of the text, but we're not just talking. There's work at stake here. And I think the difficulty that we have in our culture, because we're a society of rights and free speech— is we think that everybody has a right to speak. Fine, everybody has a right to speak, but that doesn't mean everyone should speak. The person in Florida who believes that people who are vaccinated 
can transmit the vaccine should not be allowed to teach. I wish what that person said were true. We could rid ourselves of COVID much sooner. Then, Richard, I could have just passed my vaccination on to you. You would not have had to get a shot. So please, friends, I'm not interested in your political point of view. I'm interested in teaching. One plus one equals two. Vaccines are 90% effective at helping you fend off the coronavirus. And since our duty as ministers of the gospel is to serve the common good, we are responsible to help make sure you know that the right thing to do is to protect your health and to protect, more importantly, the health of those around you. So get vaccinated. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Watching, therefore, I love that the word is Grigorite. The early Christians started naming their children Gregory, which is what comes from this, Grigorite, which means to watch and to be on the lookout. They were naming their children this. Imagine, watch out. That's the name of your kid. <laughs> I don't know what happens when they're about ready to run into the street. But anyway. How confusing. <laughs> How confusing, Richard. It, it's translated here in the New American Standard Bible as alert. So you shout at your kid, Gregory. Imagine shouting, alert, alert. <laughs> watch, watch, out. watch. Watch out, watch out. <laughs> so in any case, I love that this word became so central to the way that the early Christians thought about this, because you always have to be watchful. You always have to be ready. Now, we're thinking in these like very apocalyptic terms, you know, last week and thinking of like the superhero movie of the last battle that's coming. But that's not when it comes. In our lives, it comes when a disabled person rides past the church on a scooter. That's the moment you have to be ready for. When somebody stops by and is wondering what all those people are doing when they're going into the church, that's when the moment comes. When you see someone as you're walking down the street who needs a hand, who needs help, who needs food, who needs shelter, who needs clothing, that's what you are supposed to be looking out for. Not an epic battle with Thanos. That's not in your cards. The battle you have to fight is an even more difficult one, which is against your own ego to submit to the guy on the scooter, the woman who needs food, the person who's wondering what those people are doing going into the church. You have to be ready to teach. You have to be ready to submit. And you have to be ready to give to that person what that person has need of, and that's what we have to be prepared for. The epic battle, honestly, is the small thing you take for granted. It's the lost opportunity that's wasted so that when the Lord comes, you're out of small opportunities. And because human beings are stubborn and we don't listen, Scripture like any good story, whether it be the Avengers or Harry Potter, 
or any kind of literature that tries to engage the human imagination, at the end of the day, it engages the human addressee by presenting you with this epic literary landscape, but it's dealing with ordinary things. And scripture, in a way, is unique because scripture elevates, you know, with this beautiful example from Mark that I love to call to mind often, the widow's might. It elevates the ordinary right before your eyes and it makes it majestic. It takes the mundane and makes it impressive. We're going to see the public portrayal of the crucifixion of Jesus, which goes beyond mundane to shameful and embarrassing, but somehow the gospel is going to make it into something impressive and beautiful. So this is where Scripture is unique from these other types of literature. But all literature is trying to engage the human imagination to help it change the way it understands ordinary, everyday things. That's what the writers are trying to do. Because it is precisely our lack of vigilance in dealing with ordinary things that is the missed opportunity, the missed keros, that causes us to stumble and fail the judgment. That's what this is about. So even the example of coronavirus, I mean, in the end, everybody dies. So you bring up coronavirus, and it gets people's attention, either because they're wrapped up in a knot because of their ideology, and they want to prove that they're not afraid, or prove this or prove that. Well, I don't have time for you. If you have something to prove, I'm not interested. If you want to learn that one plus one equals two, sit down and I'll teach you math because people's lives depend on math right now. But the real issue is preparedness. Are you ready to teach when someone needs to learn math? Are you even looking for those who are in need of a teacher? That's the question. That's the duty. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You've been told that your house could be broken into. Everybody always gives dad a hard time for being paranoid. He warns you to lock the house before you leave. He makes sure that you check to see that you have enough gas before you go on a trip. You always act like it's a bother when he does so until you run out of gas or until someone breaks in. Everybody likes to talk big like you're overreacting about COVID until someone gets COVID. Wear a mask. Get your shot. Take a few basic steps to be prepared so that when someone breaks in, you're ready. 
It's as simple as that. Now, in the case of verse 43, the head of the house doesn't know when the thief is coming. He can't watch. All he can do is prepare according to what is wise. And in the Gospel of Matthew, the way that you prepare is by studying Scripture and doing what it asks of you. That's the only implement you have. And then when the thief comes, the thief comes. Now, what's beautiful is that the thief is Jesus. <laughs> when I was a professor, I remember having this conversation. It was so funny. You give a pop quiz, and the students say, but I'm not ready. And I said, well, I mean, you're supposed to do the readings. But yeah, but I didn't know there's going to be a quiz. I'm like, yeah, that's why it's called a pop quiz, because you don't know when it's coming. But if I had known, I would have studied. I'm like, well, I was hoping you were going to study anyway. But this is exactly the sentiment. If I had known, I would have studied. Yes, I know. And the reason why I don't tell you when it's coming is so that you're ready all the time. Because if I tell you there's going to be a pop quiz on Wednesday, you probably don't know your stuff on Monday. But if I want you to know your stuff on Monday and Wednesday, I say, there could be a quiz any day this week. Be ready. And then lo and behold, everyone gets ready. Uh, this is a very simple thing. Thieves don't send you a note saying we're going to be there around seven because then you're going to watch. Sometimes you would have political groups plant a bomb and say we're going to detonate the bomb at midnight so it's a good idea to clear everybody out. And guess what? Nobody dies in those bombings because they take them seriously and they clear everybody out. I'm not condoning the bombing, but I'm saying that when the warning is given, people pay attention. When someone is given the warning that this is happening, people hop to it. They do exactly what needs to get done. And Jesus has been spending the entire time saying, you know, when the lightning hits, you know what's happening. When you see the leaf come out of the fig tree, you know that summer is coming. Jesus has been saying, you're getting the signs. You do know that something is coming. So you have an imperative to be ready now. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. You can't see the virus. It is real. It could strike at any time. And the tools that we have to fight it are also real. But you can't see those tools. And in a sense, they're as intangible physically to you as the threat itself. And so everybody is as afraid of the tool as, as they are disbelieving of the threat. Rich, it's a great metaphor for what Matthew is describing here. We were talking about this earlier, Father. How come I've never heard someone say, yes, I believe that COVID is really a thing, but I don't believe in vaccines, so therefore I triple mask and stay 12 feet away from everybody because I truly believe that COVID is a bad thing. I just don't like vaccines. I've never, ever heard someone. You either believe that COVID is bad and you believe in vaccines, or you don't believe COVID is bad and you don't believe in vaccines. That's the only way I've heard things align. Why is that? It's because of personal freedom. I want to be able to control my own destiny. In Matthew 24, 44, Jesus makes abundantly clear, you do not control your own destiny. 
Your liberty is not in your hands. Your ultimate end is not in your hands. The only thing you can do is to prepare. And the only way to prepare is to submit to the expert. There's not experts in this case. There's only one expert. And that is the Lord who spoke these words. There's only one expert that we must submit to. And this is what I would love our hearers to take away from our talk today, but more importantly, from these words of Jesus, that we must submit. We must give away the freedom that the Constitution and Thomas Jefferson gave us as Americans and submit to the one who knows better, the one who created the heavens and the earth, who holds our very health and liveliness in the palm of his hand. He holds every generation in the palm of his hand. So submitting to his word, if it sounds harsh, then we submit to its harshness. If it brings joy, we submit to the joy. But we can't have joy if the script is harsh, and we can't be harsh when the scripture is joyful. We do not have that authority. Only one has that authority. Jesus himself does not have that authority. That's why he says the Son of Man doesn't even know when this is coming. The Son of Man doesn't know when this is coming, so he's saying the Son of Man is going to come, but he doesn't even say that he knows when it's coming, because it doesn't matter. Why does it matter to Jesus? He's going to go when the guy says, hey, Jesus, you're up. And then you go. You know, you've often used the coaching analogy, Father. The coach says, go in. The coach says, come out. That's it. You don't say, Coach, I really think this is a bad time. <laughs> you, you don't get that. You don't get to do that. Excuse me? We're in the middle of a game. The buzzer just went off for a substitution. You think it's a bad idea? I don't think that's how we play this game here. I think we're going to have to have a talk about the roles we have on a basketball team. Okay? That's how it is here. You submit to the word. Now is the hour. Submit. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.